Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to NXS Access All Areas, episode 135, the podcast that aims to dive deep into all things great about our favourite band, NXS, do it with my friend B, our patrons, our listeners, and anybody coming along for the ride. B, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Hey, guess what? About 10 minutes ago, I, I nearly mm. got into a Facebook troll argument. Do you know that? Again, I hear yeah. that you've been banned a few times. No, I've never I, been I hear, banned. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, put, I, put, I put this post up about Australian actor Samuel Johnson and this girl called B came back justifying and defending my... Oh, me. <laughs> defending. Was that you? Was that you, B? Was it, well, yes, it was me. So I thought, what's this all about? I don't know. So <laughs> I went and Googled it and looked it in news and I read the whole part okay. of it because it's about so, Elton so, John. Well, quick little backdrop for our overseas listeners. One of the okay. most famous one of the most famous interviewers in the world was a guy called Molly Meldrum. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not our MM, but he has the same initials. Molly has interviewed uh, everybody from uh, Michael Jackson to Elton John to all these different people. And many, many years ago in the 80s, he was the only guy that often people went to for these big interviews, maybe even Prince and that. Mm -hmm. But on the weekend, Molly uh, got up at his old friend and bum chum, pardon the pun, uh, Elton John, okay, uh, and got up on stage and decided to drop his dax on the stage and do a a little bit of a a little bit of a moonshine Moonshine. of the butt cheeks to the Mm. audience. Um, Right. Now, I'm confusing, bit- our listen- confusing our listeners, but about five, six, seven years ago, there was a mini-series based on Molly played by a guy called Samuel Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Samuel turned around quite successfully, won a Logie and, mm-hmm. you know, got up to accept it and Molly got up to accept it with him and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, Samuel's a bit angry with Molly because, you know, he reads it, you know, Molly is a bit drunk and shouldn't be allowed out after PM and cost his charity all this money he was raising for his sister. And, you know, my, my take on it all, B, was... Hey, Samuel, you won your biggest acting award of your life. Don't criticise the guy that you were uh, emulating. He's I think you've dad. got it slightly wrong. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, All if right. you want my take on give it. Us your, give us your well, counter argument. I saw, I saw yours and I, I saw that you were a little bit upset about Molly and I thought, you know, he's a, he's a massive icon over here. He's the guy with the cowboy hat and yes. what's to say in the music industry. I didn't know he dropped his trousers, but what <laughs> – What's his name? Samuel. So Samuel Samuel went to get his award for playing Molly and Molly stepped up and did a slurring speech for eight minutes and didn't allow him to talk, which, you know, Molly's moment as well That's as his, his moment. Memory. I see that. I reckon I saw it at the time. I don't think it was like that. But you know what okay. we can do? Right. We can go to YouTube and we can go back and watch the watch actual it. award and yeah. get an answer. Yeah. And we will tell the listeners next week. But anyway, so- let me finish. Sorry. That. <laughs> um, yeah. And then he said he's more concerned about him and he's just asking who's looking after him because he thinks that he's drinking He's, he's actually said it. He's, he's having vodka in his coffee, two lots of vodka in his coffee before he actually gets out of bed near enough. So now, we have B, to be careful. Allegedly, what's he said? Oh, my God. Now, I B, if, I, if I told you not to do that and and went on to media and gave you a hard time, you would be well within your rights to turn and go, who the hell are you? You're mm-hmm. not relevant to my life. You know, you're not mm-hmm. my son, daughter or my family. Shut the fuck up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Be interested to see who else has got things to say about that, him dropping his trousers. I feel like I'm doing a rant, aren't I? 
Well, we might as well get it out of the way. Hasn't we might be over Sorry, everybody. This is in an excess podcast. We will get onto it. <laughs> and Mo- Molly actually was my mum's first boyfriend in real life. Pardon? Really? Yes. Now, Molly okay. did turn gay. And then he turned gay. He did turn gay. So I do blame my right. mum for that. It's um, your mum's fault. But, uh, right. No, they grew up in the same town and they were part of a community and they went out mm. a couple of dates back in the 60s. But uh, we should let that go by the by. B, how's your NXS week been? <laughs> wonder when you were going to ask me. Um, yep. My NXS week was pretty busy because I started decluttering, as you do in January. Do yes. you do that in January? I, I did think it a lot on the weekend with the do. kids. Yeah. Look, we, 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 look, we don't want to go too much into diatribe, but I bought three big tubs from Officeworks on the Sundays. They're kids. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's three choices to what we're putting in these buckets. The fourth choice is the bin. Right. So we did. But uh, is there anything you've been decluttering in your NXS portfolio? Yeah. Well, I, I've started from that corner of the room and come out and, and found things. And because you said, if, you know, we need to start categorizing what. Anyway, I mm. come across Kirk's picks and I thought, you know what? I'll just put these out onto the pages and see yes. what everybody thinks of them before we put them on eBay. Well, Guys, thank you. Thank you so much. The donations that you've given us, so overwhelming. You are absolutely wonderful. And we've gained patrons from it and listeners from it. And Kirk, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you have any more, let me know. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and did we? Did I mm-hmm. correctly see that our friend in Brazil came up with uh, her Michael and Pitcher's contribution? Or we we going to auction with that? Oh, I don't know, actually. I'm going to do that while you carry on okay. talking. But well, if not, I am already prepared. Okay, We've got cool. a raffle ready to go. Right. So we'll, well talk about ju- that later. Well, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead as you do your little research on that. And uh, mm-hmm. normally in our introduction, we talk a bit about the topic of the week coming up and a few other things. But I thought that this is an interesting week for us because uh, I guess at the time of recording, uh, it is two years uh, nearly to the day that we lost Chris Murphy. Uh, the Sven Gali impresario, manager of the band, the guy who was sort of the, the seventh member, as they say. You know, two years later, I guess it's probably a little bit of a poignant time for his family and those around him who uh, were very, very important in his life. And also at the time of this being released, B, it is Michael, it would have been Michael's uh, 63rd birthday. So I thought we would basically cross-pollinate the Michael and the Murphy this week, B. So uh, we are going to do a little bit of a Michael versus Murphy. It does sound a bit like Jason versus Michael, the horror movie. Um, but we thought we would just do a little bit of a, a deep dive into the Michael versus Chris Murphy fracas that did actually uh, – look, there's a lot of successes that came their way, and I'd like to think there was more good than negative in their relationship over time, but there was at a very important juncture where they had a bit of a fallout, and I thought we would talk a bit about that today uh, in our topic just to really go through – uh, what actually uh, occurred, what sort of created sort of the different sort of platforms, but also, um, I guess, equally, what, you know, they also did well together. So we might just, you know, talk deep a little about their relationship. And in life, uh, relationships are nuanced. They're not just sort of all, you know, beer and Skittles. Uh, B, we've had our odd uh, punch up, haven't we, in our time? You've, you've laid a few left and right blows on me. And, Excuse me? And I've, and I've put a couple of feathers uh, back your way. So, um but you know, we you know this podcast aims to be honest. It aims to you know not sugarcoat things. And Michael and Chris Murphy had a fallout, and there was obviously some reasons for that. But they were also very, I think, you know, symbolically probably the two most ambitious guys in the band. And maybe sometimes that ambition did clash a bit. So I guess we'll talk a bit about that today in light of this being a week where one passed and where one born was born. But equally, you do need sometimes 
two opposite sort of, you know, well, maybe not opposite personalities. Sometimes you need two alpha males or bulls in the paddock to get the best out of each other. And I'd like to think that that's, you know, the majority of their relationship. So we'll dive deep a bit later and uh, explore that as well. Oh, imagine if I was a man then. Anyway, but going on from that, I actually did reach out to Stevie, who is uh, Chris Murphy's daughter. So yes. I want to say hi to you, Stevie, and our love goes to you from everybody um, to do with the podcast. Um, this is going to be interesting because you've just completely changed the topic of what we were going to do, haven't you? Well, a little yeah, bit, you know. Little I, I, I have been trying itching to get the Gary Beers one out, but um, we keep getting mm. these little milestones of dates, and we always mm. want to pay homage to these dates. And I think, you know, every year in the calendar, it's important that we do have some reference to Chris, you know, and said a lot of the great things he did. And also, as I said, at the time of this going out this Sunday, it actually will be Michael's birthday. And you uh, be, I think, uh, in about an hour's time, are heading off to the Live Baby Live gig, aren't you? I am, I am. So, yeah. uh, yes, you'll be able, if you're downloading later, you would have seen me on, yeah, down at the gig with the boys. I'm not going to spoil it. You would have seen it, her though. on stage. <laughs> oh, are you frozen? <laughs> I'm going to take a photo of that. Shut your mouth up like a kid. Scared to have a heart. Losing grip, what really matters? Also, B, kudos, you know, to Danny Saber last week for sharing the podcast that you put together with him and Nick uh, out on his platform. And I think we had a really, really solid bunch of downloads last week. It really picked the pace up, particularly uh, midway through the week. And credit to you, as I said, putting that one together and and Danny coming on being as erudite and as honest as he was, eh? I've, I've, I've deep dived on both. So, yeah, absolutely. It was great. What did you think? What did you said, think? Of- I just said what I thought. <laughs> I said, what? well done to you. It was really honest and very erudite. <laughs> no. No, let me finish. Yeah. <laughs> He's about to punch me, listeners. Oh, my God. <laughs> what did you think of the bit where he said about that he's got some music that would be good to have in excess play on? What do you think? Do you think they will well, get in touch? Look, I think that was a passion project for Michael. And I think when I look back to the band's history and things like that, you never saw even post-Max Q or post the recording of anything Michael did solo. You never, ever saw, and even Andrew Farris stuff he did, did with Jenny Morris, you never saw them bring outside interests into a band setting, mm. into a band concert, et cetera. The only thing I can think of is that there was a track on Andrew's latest album where he wrote around the kick era and he saved it and brought it into this country album 30-something years later. Generally, outside projects generally stayed outside. Mm. Um, so I don't know that sort of Andrew would have an affinity towards it. I think it would be great if there was some repackage towards Michael's solo album, say a 25th anniversary thing, um, or maybe they combined Max Q and the Michael solo album and added some special deluxe content. I think that would be something particularly good, mm. particularly the song Friction that came out on that documentary about four or five years ago. Mm. So I think around those side of things, it may be relevant there. 
we're on a bit of a mission to get some patrons, B, and I think New Year's begun. People are back at work. Uh, spare yourself uh, a, New Year's, uh, a New Year's resolution, giving up that coffee and those cigarettes and all those certainly uh, harmful vices and flip five, ten bucks our way a week or a month and become a patron because uh, you will be part of a journey that is well worth your while when this band gets in the Rock Wall of Fame. B, you want to add to that? I do. I want to say hello to Rachel. My God, she donated so much money and you've got a nice big parcel coming to you. She is our latest patron. And Amy told me today that she's right on the fence of falling over. So let's just give her a push. Amy, uh, we love you. We need you. We need you. We we command (laughs) and demand you jump on the the train of uh, in excess Rock Hall of Fame patronage. And bring some friends with you. All right, B, we're going to go through to you and all the existing patrons and welcome them aboard for 2023, episode two of the year. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members, Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkins, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones, and Paul Jolie. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Cambia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, and marie Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Yari, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Liz Urban, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Gott, Anthea, Maria, Nicole, Tracy, Darren, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vernon, Shane, Lachlan and Mandy. And a special mentions to Sudi, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy and Jay Finlinson. Happy birthdays go out to Stefan and to Glenn. Happy birthday, boys, and welcome to the podcast. What's the time for? It's time for the news. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess Access All Areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, B, we'll in chart watch this particular week. Uh, a little bit of a slip from the very best of. It has gone from 25 to 34, but uh, had a little solid December-January bump up. The album, though, is still number one on the Australian album charts. That is for Australian artists on the Australian ARIA charts. Uh, so it's number one there, and then it's 25 in the overall artist chart. Uh, also, Kick, though, has moved up to number nine in the Australian charts. That is the Australian band charts. So well done to that. Uh, and also a little bit of self-interest, B. We had a uh, we had a big jump from 137 to 16 in the Canadian charts. So thank oh, you, Canada. That, it must be yeah. very cold and icy over there at the moment. You've got nothing to do other than listen to us. But uh, <laughs> we do thank all of our Canadian listeners, Vern and the gang, and everybody there who's jumped on and had a bit of a listen, uh, and all newer listeners in the last couple of weeks who have uh, figured us and found us. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. Hey, check out the NXS Tribute Band page on the NXS Access All Areas website and get all of the full tour dates. And now it's time for Gig Watch with Hayden and B. Cheers. All right, Nancy. Gig Watch in a couple of hours' time. Can you tell us a little bit about the Live Baby Live gig you're going to tonight? Any uh, information there you want to share with the listeners? Okay, well, it's at my uh, famous um, local now, the Hoi Moe. It's uh, getting some uh, great um, people coming down there. And the Live Baby Live boys are Simon and Justin, um, who are our main men. And I'm going to be sharing a bottle of wine with them, a very special bottle of wine. So, yes, onto our socials, and you'll be able to watch that. Also, too, uh, a little bit of news, uh, B, a little bit of a comic deep dive. Uh, there's another horse race with an excess element to it, okay? So- New sensation. No, it's no. Uh, here in Melbourne uh, after the New Jersey horse event. Uh, there is a race actually on uh, in two weeks' time or a week and a half's time, I think, uh, late January, 20, I think 27th actually is, called the Inexcess Mystify Tribute Race. So, what? yes, it sounds like the Mystify Tribute guys are sponsoring uh, a maiden oh. race, which is the first off event uh, in Cranbourne, which is a south suburb not far from me here in Melbourne. So, uh, if you want to bet on that, that's the name of the race. There's not a horse in it like mm. in New Jersey, but uh, mm. uh, it seems like NXS are entering the pantheon of the racing community. <laughs> also, too, I do want to do a bit of a shout-out to a journo called Steve Hoppen, who has a wonderful uh, forum called Musical Forum, and there's a great little fan page called Who Likes NXS with lots of really up-to-date and historical information. If you like fan chat rooms, obviously we have ours and there's many out there, but this one is I really encourage and seems like this quite learned and smart and uh, relevant fans who contribute to that page. So well done to Steve Hoffman. Also, too, uh, I want to give a bit of shout out to the newsletter team, B. Now, do you want to just for everybody's benefit list who contributes to the newsletter every week? Oh, right. So we've got our girls, Danielle, Laurie, yep. and Foxy. Does Genevieve do a little bit with that or other well, things? Well, Genevieve she's... helps me. She does a little bit, but she's more, okay. um, she helps with our graphics and she's yeah. got amazing video ads at the moment. So yes. I hope you're enjoying that. Yeah. But I always love, you know, just the, the content there and I'm just having a bit of a look the other day. Uh, there's a great tribute to uh, our dear friend, um, Tony, who passed away over Christmas mm-hmm. and New Year. Uh, there's a great little link to the Green Day cover and I actually opened up that Green Day link uh, to actually watch their Don't Change cover on New Year's Eve. There's yeah. a great little thing with Chris Cafaro and his print there that obviously is uh, very nicely donated, along with a fan deep dive. Now, there's Mark Bart- Mark Bartlett is our fan of the week. What well a Mark. We love the answers you gave as a deep dive fan, uh, and thank you for your contribution there. Just add yeah. to that. So the newsletter, first of all, yes, thank you, girls. You're doing a cracking job on that. Um, You do need to be a subscriber to get that uh, newsletter. It's very easy to do that. You just get onto our website and it's um, headed newsletter and you subscribe. It's free to subscribe. And if you want to pass it on, brilliant. Uh, And also, too, there's a handy little nostalgia section about this week in time that uh, the team go out and, and research, you know, what happened at this particular day or week in time. could be a song or a concert or an album release and things like that. So, you know, just a kudos to all the team and the girls who, who were working behind that. Yeah, yeah. And also Mary's now got her kits back on. So there's a link there for those and also how to get hold of um, uh, those free books from Clemo. Um, now, you mentioned Chris Cafaro. 
mm-hmm. earlier. Now that's still ongoing. We're still waiting for everyone's reviews to come through. Me and Hayden are going to sift through and find out who's who's the best one. I love David. David Gaunt. Yeah. Well, if David Gaunt, because um, David Gaunt's coming over in April, actually, Hayden. Did you know? Is he? No, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's going to come and see. Well, he's not coming to see me, but he's coming to see um, um, Sydney first, then Melbourne. So we'll both be able to see awesome. him at some point. Awesome. But at the moment, he's in the running to get the print. So, you know, get your <laughs> get your reviews out there, guys. Review wherever you want, but tag in the podcast. So, so just to reiterate the actual concept for people if they're listening for the first time, what do mm. they have to do and what can they win? Okay. We want you to go to review the whole show or a particular episode or if you prefer Hayden or me. No, I'm joking on that. But if you want to review the podcast and tag us in, just put the app sign and put the in excess podcast, then we'll be able to see it, you see. And we just want to get other people to know what you your thoughts are on the podcast. Then Hayden and I will do a review on which one we like the best and the winner will receive a print. It's worth $600, this print, from the photographer. Chris Cafaro, and it's an absolute beauty of Michael. Awesome. Uh, also, just to add to a couple of things, uh, the NXS website, we spoke a bit before Christmas, B, that uh, fans can get on and relive their favourite fan experience, be it sort of concerts and things like that, and be able to sort of send that through to the website. As we said, uh, through management, we will be able to, uh, I guess, liaise with management and pick a fan of the week and be able to have them come on uh, to an episode and just uh, recount their, their fandom experience. So uh, please keep doing that. I think that might cut out in around February in terms of submissions. So uh, don't be lax. Get your, your details in on the inexcess.com website and that should help you. Last couple of little things here. There's a good little article from Dave Gleeson, former lead singer of the Screaming Jets, talks a bit about uh, on the Triple M website uh, recently about how he got up in Germany and sung with Michael. There's some good photos there. Um, that's around the 93 tour. They was, I think the Screaming Jets were supporting NXS. Um, and there was a little bit of a chance he may have become the lead singer after Michael, but he might have uh, had a few much, a few too many to drink at a cricket event where the band were at. And Chris Murphy didn't take too kindly. But uh, Chris Murphy originally signed uh, Dave and the guys up, you know, in the Screaming Jets back in the early 90s. Uh, So some sort of full circle stuff there. Also, 2B, I know you, I think, added to last week's episode, it was with a little bit of of sadness that just after recording, the world sort of found out about Lisa Marie Presley passing away. So, you know, we want to, uh, I guess, always also express our, I guess, somberness to that because um, she was, you know, I think only seen a couple of days before on the Golden Globes and... Uh, unfortunately had a chronic sort of cardiac arrest that she couldn't be revived with. Uh, We also lost Jeff Beck, the famous guitarist that only three, four weeks ago, uh, Gary on our interview that you'll hear, we'll talk about Jeff Beck in such reverence. And I think he's actually really regarded as the best sort of guitarist of all time, really rock and roll guitarist. And he passed away. And also for today here in Melbourne, uh, a very famous Australian singer that was my mum's favourite singer, there's a lady called Renee Geyer, who unfortunately she passed away at 69 and she had such a fantastic voice and more known down under for here, but she did sing backup vocals for people like Joe Cocker, people like Sting on that song Be Together Tonight uh, on his solo album. Uh, great soulful voice. Uh, she unfortunately passed away at 69. So 
B-R-I-P to those people. And bloody January keeps striking, doesn't it? Just reference back to Jeff Beck. I don't know yeah. if I mentioned it or not. I put it in my notes, but I don't know if I said it last week. But um, he actually won the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Did you know that? Well, he's been inducted, I think, with the Yardbirds, I think, mm. uh, with Eric Clapton, then maybe a solo artist and things as well. So yeah. um, I think Clapton's been inducted three times, you know, yeah. same with McCartney and that. Yeah, and when he got up, he, he did his thank thank you speech and he said thank you for those that got in me and then did that and thank you not so much to those and gave the bird oh, right, um, okay. pretty famously <laughs> on stage. It was pretty well edited and you saw Ronnie Wood in the uh, audience cracking up. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I bought a single from Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart, which was the Curtis Mayfield cover called People Get Ready that I think they released in the 80s. I bought a single of that and loved it because it had Jeff's guitar playing and Rod's vocals, so it's always a, a bit of a favourite. But uh, yeah. And it's got an album out with um, Johnny Depp, hasn't he? Well, I think Johnny Depp was at his bed, so he passed, but he was working Oof. on an album with, uh, I think, him and Steve Stevens, and mm. uh, which is Billy Idol's uh, guitarist and a couple of other people. So, yeah, I'm sure he's got a lot in the vault. And at 78, mm. I guess he had a, a pretty good innings, but probably slightly not long enough for, for everyone's liking, you know. All right, Billy, that's the news of the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout-out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. All right, B, we're going to talk about Michael versus Murphy today. Uh, I guess, as we said a bit earlier, the well, unfortunately, the sad passing of Chris was just on two years ago. And as we uh, released today, it is the anniversary of what would have been Michael's 63rd birthday. And I thought it's, it's an interesting sort of topic to talk about. Um, we wanted to try to recognise both of these really strong, ambitious forces this week and give acknowledgement to their input within excess. But we thought that it'd be quite interesting to talk a little bit about just their relationship. It'd be easy just to do a big puff piece on, oh, that a fallout and all the negatives and things like that. And we'll probably talk a bit about that, but upon doing a bit of research with this discussion, as much as they were different, they were quite similar in their ambition for in excess. The way they went about it was uh, completely sort of different. And, you know, Chris is probably the very much the controlled sort of managing, um, protecting mechanism of the band, uh, whereas Michael was the ambitious, daring, risk-taking but equally protective sort of member of the band. What are your thoughts on their relationship? I'm going to find this very interesting because I never thought to think that there was any sort of like competition of masculinity of them doing the best for the band. I always thought it was Tim that was the striver for the band and not so much Michael. So I'm really going to feel this is quite interesting for me to hear what you're taking it. And, and maybe you might, spout something out of me as as we go along but I think Michael was just always perceived as this the quiet shy the the guy that did the poetry that was given the mic and then started to evolve into knowing that it was it, it, they were in a business and and that's when he became stronger where are we starting with this are we starting at the beginning 
beginning when they first <laughs> met? Or yeah, well, no, look, well, look, I, th- I think I probably I'm not going to do a sort of factual deep dive, but I thought you know what I would try and do is and, and look, we don't have a, a biography from Michael with a lot of things in his own words. I mean, we have. Uh, plenty of books written about him and, and you know, plenty of uh, footage and interviews about him. Chris, having done a biography and uh, a, a deep dive into his career and with the band and talking about Michael, we do have on the record certain sort of uh, information. And Well, what I gained from reading Chris's book is you've got a guy who made a career decision to give up sort of, I guess, working with his ticket agency and a whole bunch of projects and threw his hat into the ring to manage in excess. And and they came to him. They were very, very impressed with what they thought his management skills could be. And if you are going to be that type of person, you're going to have to exert certain traits in that particular role. Now, for those who obviously, you know, work within Chris's bubble, you sense that, you know, he was pretty committed, pretty loyal, pretty pretty conscientious about every, anything that could gain betterment for in excess, that was his mission statement. Like anything, he probably pissed a lot of people off along the way. And, you know, through our interview process, I guess, you've got this sort of real juxtaposition where there's been a lot of our interviewees have gone like, without Chris, this and this and this would have never happened. However, with Chris, this, this and this did happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Along the way? Hmm. And I've, and I've often quoted Don Henley's, you know, uh, yeah, reference to his manager, Ir- Irving Azoff, who uh, said, you look, he might be Satan, but he's our Satan. Yes. And it's probably a thankless role. Like I'm going to start with the Chris Murphy sort of mm-hmm. uh, okay. understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably a thankless role when you're out there fighting, you know, you know, promoters and 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 arguing for, you know, record company arrangements and deals and think of the, you know, he goes into sell kick and 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 had to sort of keep a nerve there on behalf of the band. So I don't think any of us would underestimate or mitigate anything Chris did to become successful in managing the band. His alpha male sort of type sort of characteristics, though, were probably competing with Michael, who wasn't really an alpha male. He wasn't that type of rock star that got up there like a Liam Gallagher and, you know, you know who else was there with pretty outspoken um uh, singers who, you know, probably Anthony Kiedis and some of these guys are pretty, you know, a little bit controversial in their own way. Uh, Michael's probably the quiet achiever, but but we can't underestimate Michael's, uh, you know, ferocity and loyalty and commitment to excess and uh, drive to succeed because without that, uh, and with the pressure that he undertook being the front man, was something that probably Chris himself would never have to contend with. And that pressure we know ultimately, you know, you know weighed down on Michael. But I think they had two completely different styles as to how they went about their craft but ultimately the same outcome, and that is they wanted the best for an excess. They both realised they had an integrity. They wanted to succeed. But how Chris went about it was probably had was probably different to how Michael went about it. Well, slightly more aggressive maybe, and, and the way that he read up about the industry, whereas Michael was more about how other bands were being perceived. And it, it's on different levels really, isn't it? It's mm. like the one he's got to go in and fight um, for the position of the band yeah. on on the world stage and where they've got to be and who they've got to be headlining with and blah blah blah. Michael hasn't really got to worry too much about that, but he's got to be seen with the right people or being on the right show. I'm yeah, guessing. that's right. No, that's right. Look, you know, Chris lived in London for a little bit. You know, Michael and Andrew mm. lived there. Um, you know, but but. I think ultimately Chris was an Australian homebody, loved being out on the farm when he was off tour and different things. I think there was just an interesting quote sort of in Chris's book that I think sort of represented how he didn't quite understand Michael. And he sort of said on one of the pages there, he said, look, 
And I was worried about Michael. He seemed to be only interested in sort of girls and Harleys, you know. I was worried about his lack of hobbies and things. And yeah. I think I think when we look back at the documentary, I mean, Michael was just as happy driving up into the, the French hills, smelling the beautiful flowers and yeah. going to Copenhagen and, and, and France and, and watching the, you know, looking at the art and the galleries. Mm. Michael was a, a bit more of a deeper intellectual mm. than, I would say Chris recognised. I don't, I don't think Chris, Chris was a commercial guy, you know. Michael was an artist, and there's a natural juxtaposition between those two things. Commerce and artistry often conflict. Yeah. Uh, they repel each other. Um, mm. An example being, you know, when it came to the end of the kick tour, Chris was almost dumbfounded that the band somehow wanted to have a year off uh, and then uh, effectively, you know, I guess lose what he perceived as the momentum gained. Yeah. He, he, he was like, well, yeah, what are we doing next, guys? Let's go back in and record. It's been 18 months. And the band were like, no, we need to need time off. And I think cynically, Chris sort of thought that it was an idea by Michael to everyone else in the band to have a year off. But I think back to, to John's injury, um, which he's spoken about mm. the last gig of the kick tour, his knee was buggered. Yeah. You know, Tim wanted some time at home. Yeah. Um, Gary wanted to go off and ex- explore, you know, some recording opportunities. Andrew was keen to do some production work with Jenny Morris. They all had their own sort of individual things they wanted to do. Kirk had some production duties and Michael went off and did Max Q, but you know, Chris couldn't quite see and maybe feel what the band really needed at that time. And if you look at the book, you know, he only committed, I think, one page to the Max Q <laughs> discussion, <laughs> which probably indicates how he felt about it. And, yeah. and I think that was the start where him and Michael really started to have some conflict. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it, like he was, he, he'd probably got a plan. I should imagine he had a plan A, B and C. And plan A was that this momentum, as you say, especially after Kick, it had all that money into, not into the band, into the filming of it. You know, he wants to keep that going. And then the guys are going, no, let's have some time off. Where's plan B? You know what I mean? He's He was a go-getter. He was a like I said, a slightly aggressive. He needed to get it done. It, it, it be on his time. Whereas mm. the boys are, like you say, creative. Yeah, mm. I think also too, one of the fears that you know Chris naturally had, and I think he got this wrong in hindsight. I understand why he thought at the time, but he said, you know, bands don't really break up because they don't sort of, you know, uh, like each other at the end of the day. Although sometimes it happens. He said sometimes bands mostly break up because they lose the lead singer. And Chris was very much like, I've done the research and data on this, you know, and it was something he says in the book, I've done the research and data and this is what happens. But breaking up is, you know, using a random set of examples in the past to then say, well, that could happen to an excess, despite Chris's research and data, underestimated, I think, Michael's loyalty to Andrew and the band. Mm-hmm. Michael was fiercely loyal right up until the end of the band. Um, you know, we've done plenty of interviews with Andrew and different people who shared that sentiment. One of the ways you do break up, and I think is something that uh, Michael had said around the Max Q time, is that if you don't let people go off and explore their creative juices, don't let them do other things. I mean, the Eagles, you know, as I said earlier, uh, they broke up at the end of the long run album tour, but that's because their manager, you know, a lot of the time in the industry expectation was um, go off, record tour, come yeah. back, record, mm. write tour. There mm. was this bubble where it was almost like year in, year out. And yeah. InXS decided just to go, hey, look, you know, it's been a steady incline, but they've had 83, you know, album, well, 84, The Swing came out, 85, The Snow Thieves, uh, 87, Kick, you know, and then all the ensuing tours within. 
and 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 going back to all you know 1977, that you know 11, years. 12 years in, mm, yeah, they mm. just want a bit of a rest. And that happened to to Duran Duran as well. Don't forget, they they stopped for a while, and they both had different um, yeah. projects. And but they, you know, it was that creativeness that then brought them back together. It would- well, you're right. That's a good good thing to reference. I think uh, Simon and Nick Rose went off and did Arcadia and then you had the yeah. other guys go off and John did the power, power station. station. Then. Yeah. One of the things, as I said, the trajectory, you know, when bands go off and, and do some of their own things, they can refresh. There is a creative juices. Like um, <laughs> this is a silly analogy. But think of it our two, three weeks off at Christmas time. You know, we come back a bit more fired up in the new year. We're like, oh, i got this idea, got that idea. Now extrapolate that to a band scenario. Well, you know, I, I think of uh, Michael singing on the X album when he came back. Like, I think Michael's vocals were had never been better, oh, you know, maybe after cool. after X, mm. but the vocal range he hits on songs like Disappear, The Stairs, Faith mm. in Each Other. Mm. Um, I think even Andrew said, oh, wow, like, why didn't you try some of those, you know, Max Q vocals on In Excess stuff? You know, I was really jealous. Um, and Michael just said, yeah, well, I need to go off and try these things. You know, you, sometimes you need to expand your repertoire. And mm-hmm. they came back a better band, uh, I think, having had that break. Yeah. I, but, again, Chris's defence would be, oh, well, it goes off solo, you know, he's going to, you know, uh, suddenly divert from the band's interests. And mm. I just think that. Panicked. Mike, Panicked. Yeah. And Michael mm. resent, Michael naturally resented it too because, you know, it would have been probably called Michael Hutchins' a solo album, but it got forcibly, I think, change into a non-diplume or whatever like Max Q mm. because it was a compromise, I think, that Chris sort of wanted to impose on the on Michael to say, look, we don't want this to be seen as a solo album. I see what happened to George Michael and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, people don't um, – what did, what did George say? I'm not planning on going solo. And then he went solo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? he did. He did. He did. <laughs> yeah. So it was like this compromise. But I reckon Michael also in the back of his mind goes, I've made this fantastic album, yet I can't use my name to market it. And in America, Michael was at his peak. I think he would have made a lot more inroads. And, again, Chris, you could say the word sabotage, and that's probably a bit aggressive. But um, by not allowing the asset that Michael had, which was his stage name, <laughs> to go on the front cover of that album, probably hurt the sales, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, very much, yeah. But then, like what John said the other day about... Oh, Deepest Red? Yeah, Deepest yeah. Red. Yeah. It, it makes it more... Uh, magic? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, but I think maybe more special, I guess. I sense from John the way he was speaking, there's a bit more reverence behind it and things. So I think the seeds were started to be sown around that particular time. Like, yeah, you know, any any productive relationship, and uh, 
be. I'm not married. You are, uh, but you've uh, you've had twenty. What is it now? Twenty five years. Twenty eight. No, actually oh, twenty nine this year. Twenty nine. You know, mm. like, kudos to you. I mean, mm. uh, I can't begin to understand <laughs> you. Uh, how you do that. But any relationship, you can't just say, "Oh, well, you know, they never got on, and this is the fallout." I mean, Chris and Michael were driving forces behind the band. Um, in terms of Michael's lyrics and artistry and, and symbolism, you know, Chris's, you know, management plan and probably Andrew's writing. I mean, they really were the, you know, and I don't underestimate the contributions of the others. I mean, Tim had to lead the band in various ways. But if you look at the musical output and you look at the mu- uh, the uh, career trajectory and, and marketing, you know, Andrew, you know, Michael and, and Chris were, were pretty pivotal to that. And I don't think the other yeah. members would shy from that. So having said that, I think those seeds were sown a little bit there where, you know, the album uh, wasn't really sort of marketed. It wasn't sort of like, uh, you know, Michael could put his name on it and then tour with it. I think uh, Michael always talked in interviews that we saw with Ollie about touring and getting out and doing some gigs, but they never played it live. Um, mm. And that probably gets back to sort of maybe just the pressure, uh, whether direct or uh, implied, that was sort of exerted on Michael from management and from Chris, which... Uh, it's a bit sad because we'd love to have some of the footage of seeing Michael play some gigs. Imagine going to some of those gigs. It'd be fantastic to have that on mm-hmm. on real, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Just there's a fair few um, interviews of him though, um, interview being interviewed for the actual yes. album. Mm. Yes, that's right. You know, particularly in the US, Michael went over with Ollie and they did some really good stuff there because they filmed some some clips over there. But um, I think you know, going back to to Michael, uh, the more we've got to know Michael through. You know the documentary from Richard, and uh, you know I guess uh, Tina's book, and and various other people who've come on our uh, podcast. Um, I think Michael's loyalty to the band and commitment to come back and, and resume after Max Q was never in doubt. It was never going to be that particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the output from there. They had X and had the big growth with that uh, into Europe and that led to Live Baby Live, which was fantastic. That led into the Welcome album. And, and then obviously post-Copenhagen, you know, they had the Freedom Deep issues, sorry, the, the Full Moon issues uh, in terms of Michael's illness and, and injury. I think, um, you know, leading towards later on, when Chris ultimately came to resigning from the band, uh, there definitely was a fallout in those stages around 1995 with mm-hmm. Michael and Chris, and uh, Michael was going off recording his then actual solo album yeah. uh, at that particular time. And that was the, you know, interesting. The time Michael did that in 95 with Andy Gill and everybody yeah. it was the same year that uh, Chris resigned. And um, mm-hmm. I do know they had their last meetings together and last conversations were arguments, which is a bit mm-hmm. sad. And I think Chris and Michael, for that case, probably regret that. Yeah. Fly on a wall, hey? We don't yeah. know. We don't no, know. We that's can right. only yeah. guess, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, I guess after that, Michael, you know, sort of almost abandoned the, you know, solo album and, and recording it and got into recording Elegantly Lace in 96. And mm-hmm. um, I think Andrew and Michael were really excited about going to Canada and recording together and, you know, getting away from the uh, Fleet Street Press and all of that stuff that Michael was going through. And, again, going back to Chris, you know, if you are the manager of the band, you know, and your probably number one marketing asset is Michael. You probably go to bed at night time worried, <laughs> because <laughs> particularly around '95 when things were going off the rails a bit, he, he mm-hmm. I think he felt like Michael just wasn't listening to his advice anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and Michael was growing to a certain way, and 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 we know he got angry, and we know he was had outbursts, and he was not the Michael well, himself. The same Michael, no. And I think Chris ultimately said, well, I can't really control things anymore. As a manager, I need to control, you know, the optics. Mm. Um, and, you know, he had a young family and just goes, mm. look, 
maybe it's just time, you know, and 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 it, it was sort of sad that they just probably maybe didn't get to that point of, you know, reconciliation, you know, but it was probably something that, you know, their bust up probably did affect Christy and going, why am I here? What am I doing? Why, you know, why am I missing on my kids growing up? I, I don't need this anymore. And I, I can understand being in business myself, working with assets or people who don't buy into the vision. And at the same time, I understand Michael, who was like, uh, you know, Chris is running around trying to say, I want to be Nick Cave, you know. Michael probably was a frustrated superstar. He he probably was jealous of the, you know, the black grapes at that time and the Nick Caves and the underground stuff uh, because he was the Michael, as we know, put on the, uh, the the Michael Hutchins cape and have to be Mr. Charisma cape, you know, mm. that uh, Mark Opens has said. I wonder if Michael changed. I mean, it obviously changed with the head injury, but I wonder if he changed because he was more on the London scene more than when he was before that he would have been in France or in um, um, Australia. But the London scene there, that could can be a bit toxic with like telling somebody, oh, you're better than in excess, who are in excess, you are in excess. I can, ima- I can imagine that in his ear constantly. So I don't know if um, that was the reason, one of the reasons that him and Chris might have um, not thought that the band were going to go in the direction that Michael wanted to and the direction that Chris wanted them to. Yeah, well, I, I think when you, I think face-to-face, conversations far exceed overseas calls. And if you think mm. back to 995, there was no Facebook. No. <laughs> um, there was no, no streaming. Socials, really. No. no, no social media. There's no mobile phones. So if you're Chris in Australia at that time and then you, you're reading about Michael hitting journalists and going to court and mm. having police raids and things like that, um, it would it'd be a real feeling of uh, helplessness if you're the mm. manager. Yeah. Um, if you're Michael over there and you're in what you are doing is in a post relationship with Sir Bob Geldof, mm-hmm. uh, ex partner, um, he was really a lamb to the slaughter there. Um, uh, colonialism towards Australians, as you may know from being uh, half Australian, half English, exists. You know, we we're a convict country where Australians are historically uh, are convicts who came out from England and we serve the master race of the English, etc. There. I get what you say there and about like the English and the Australians, but I have to say, because I live with my Paula, Paula copped it the most and she's English. <laughs> it was just, it was like, why? And, you know, yes. why would Michael leave um, Helena for, for Paula? You know, look how beautiful it is. And I had to have this conversation with someone the other day. Well, Michael was an intelligent guy and he loved intelligent women. And Paula was an intelligent woman, and she equaled him. Yeah, That's look, it. I don't want to get into a, a sort of a, a Paula credibility. I know you're a Paula, Paula girl, a Paula the fan club. The, the thing that Michael probably suffered a little bit is he had with Paula, he had somebody who was, as you said, highly intelligent, but she knew how to work the London system. She knew the Fleet Street press. She knew how to sometimes let them know where they were having lunch and a few different little tricky things. Uh, and she knew how to sort of, I guess, you know, play play it off a little bit. Now, I'm not here to have an attack on her. You know, she, as according to, you know, the lovely Nick Egan, was a teetotaler, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And after hanging out with Michael, she got very heavy involved in drugs. And She had to keep up, yes. Yeah, and and they, they I think everybody, you know, 
who's on record would probably suggest they probably weren't good for each other. <laughs> and, you know, the, the 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 legacy of their both of their demises suggests that. I was actually reading Bono's book last night and he was saying, you know, um, they called it the H-bomb. Um, Helena and uh, Michael was the H-bomb and they were a magnetic couple. Mm. And then when they dissolved and Paula and Michael got together, it was like another magnetic couple. And goes down like this When you take a look Gotta find a reason Find it out What the funk is now Lovers take a look around For the good job roses down All the pride is bones and blood Chris Angle, um, him being so far away, um, you know, think of 1993, Full Moon Dirty Hearts came out. They didn't record till 1997 again. But there was a whole two, two and a bit years uh, between Full Moon and, uh, you know, around sort of early 96, probably three years before they got together at the Arias. But when Chris resigned, there was definitely a bit of acrimony there. There's some footage of even Andrew and the band and Michael you know, having a bit of a go at Chris saying, oh, they tried to sell one of our songs to SeaWorld and blah, blah, blah. And there was this naturally a bit of bitter acrimony because, you know, Chris just resigned and, you know, I think the band, you know, were a bit rudderless in terms of real, you know, direction. It wasn't like they handled all of their affairs. You know, Chris was very central to that. But the fallout that him and Michael had, I just think that he just realised that if I can't control, manage, coordinate, and have everybody on the same page like I'm used to having, uh, I'm out of here. And for Michael, who had had this period of, you know, artistry and European living and this new girlfriend and this sense of, you know, I'm a 35-year-old man now and I want to be more in control of my destiny and mm. uh, I really love this dance scene, I really love the Manchester scene, I really love, mm. you know, going down a certain creative uh, direction with my life it was probably at odds with where Chris was at. That's where commerce and artistry, you know, sometimes yeah. collide. Um, got, yeah. It takes, a, it takes, yeah, it takes a brave artist to turn around to management and say, hey, go off and sell this for me, like, is, which is what they did with Kick. I mean, Kick mm. is a very weird album. Mm -hmm. It sounds normal now because we've heard it so many times, but yeah. it's a weird album. Yeah. You know, it's it's like 12 singles and really catchy, yeah, well, interesting well, left, left-hand turns. The first yeah. song, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like it's, what? And, and 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 as weird as it was, Atlantic Records to 1988, you know, which was the king of the pop and, and commercial era of music, looked mm -hmm. at it and goes, "This is not sellable. This is too alternative." Mm -hmm. But Chris went in and fought for that. And I guess if you're Chris and you have those wins and you go in and sell for the band and you create a tour that started in the unis and then end up being at massive stadiums and you. You had this creative plan, and as you said earlier, which was really appropriate, about that business plan. Well, he probably felt Michael was doing everything to thwart the business plan of the band. 
you know, around the mid-90s, Chris wanted the band to do a reggae album, remember? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, around that sort of do a police. era there when no <laughs> no doubt would come out. Go down to the Go down to Jamaica and do something reggae-ish around sort of the full moon, Dirty Hearts time or just after that, you know. Look, as I said again, I think for Michael, he was growing as an artist. He had a bit more of a vision of what he wanted to do. We now hear the songs off his solo album. Uh, we hear the, the lyrical honesty off Elegantly Wasted, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks' time. Michael was on his own journey, becoming his own man, and that ultimately what happens. I mean, even the Beatles got to that point, you know, after only eight years together, that... You know, they just all wanted to break up. They all wanted to do their own thing. You know, George had a uh, a cavalcade of songs that, you know, were only one would be allowed to go on a Beatles album. He's like, I just want to go and release all this stuff, i.e. All Things Must Pass, a triple album came out. John went off and did Imagine and did and, and Jealous, Jealous Guy. Paul went off and set up Wings and things. You know, they all wanted to go off and do their own thing. They were just ready to, to break up. Mm-hmm. Michael was just ready to become more of his own man. And I think one thing that, that also Chris maybe does regret is that he was always very careful about not letting Michael go out and do a lot of press. And if he did, having Tim there. Mm. And it's something that Chris admits in his own book. He's like, oh, you know, I was a bit conscious about Michael Goff doing his own press. I didn't want to get him getting ahead of himself. So I always had Tim there to put the handbrake on. And again, I think that stuff hurt in excess because Michael would have been a bigger known commodity, maybe more like a Bono or whatever in the, in America, if he was allowed to shine through. Michael was a very insightful speaker. You hear a Michael Hutchins interview, you go back and just just go watch them, particularly you know after Kick, and just see how insightful and how self-aware mm-hmm. he is of his craft, the band in excess, what he wants to achieve. He was so aware of the optics. You know, it's often an expression we use now. It's a bit of a corporate word. But he was optically aware of the music scene. He was optically aware of what Inexcess had done and what he wanted to see them be. And I don't think Chris trusted or knew or understood that as much as he should have. Mm. At the same time, I don't think Michael made Chris's job easy by really going off the rails like he did and allowing Chris to do his job to the best of his ability. And you know what? There's only what we know, what we've read. What about all the things behind the scenes we don't know about that exactly, either party yeah. probably contributed to? So, yeah. so, so for people out there who want to know sort of what happened with Chris and why he sort of ultimately left, I think I can't help but think that a lot of it was precipitated just by just that inability to be the best version of what he could be uh, as a manager anymore. And you know, sometimes relationships just outgrow each other, B, don't they? Well, it was also a family thing as well. He was um, he was ready to go back to his family. In excess, had had an, a lot of time with Chris, and um, yeah, he, he, you know his his girls needed him. So that yeah. was a big decision to make. I mean, I think we all put family first at a crunch, don't you think? When it really comes down to it, family yeah. does does come first. Yeah, and they said him, "Oh, great, we were so happy, Dad. They've had you for fifteen years now. We get you back, you know." The river's running, just for you and me. In the darkest hours, choices made to be. I choose to pull my punches, don't you test my conscience? You'll see, you'll see. Cut your teeth and make your pieces, what you ask for. Uh, 
and Chris went on to set up, you know, his own sort of uh, label, you know, with Petrol Records and a lot of the international uh, sounds, Cuban music, Jamaican music and things, and, you know, went on to do a lot of the farming and produce stuff and, and then went up to, you know, signing different acts and um, a whole bunch of things. And I think creatively, creatively for him, it was a good thing. I think, as I said, Elegantly Wasted, as we know, is a fantastic album. And, and if you take away all the, 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 the pressure at the time and the media outcry and, and, you know, do we need another In Excess album? We'll review that album in its entirety, but I think it was a creative win for the band. And, you know, we'll dive deep into that. Um, I don't have much more to add. You know, relationships are, are, are nuanced and they're not black and white. And it's not like Hollywood where, you know, there's him versus them and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're, they're an evolution. And if you look at the band and how long they were together and what they achieved up until Chris left in 95 and ultimately what achieved overall, they had a successful relationship. Um, they just went about it in two different ways based upon their job descriptions, you know. And as I said, again, Chris would probably, as I said, use the metrics and the data and the history of things. I think his greatest failing, Chris, was just not trusting Michael's loyalty because I just think Michael was so loyal to the band. And I think Michael's greatest sort of mistake was probably letting Chris down with his actions and maybe his behaviour, you know, going off the rails a little bit. And we're not here to justify why he did it because there was obviously some some extenuating factors. But, you know, as a manager, I know, and, and running a business and having staff and trying to coordinate people, when you lose control of people and when anyone loses control of things and in a relationship or a marriage or whatever, when you don't feel like you have an influence on the other person you're with in a relationship, that's when you start questioning yourself. And I think to Chris's defence, that's probably the point he got to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What are your thoughts no, on that? No, no, you've pointed it out. It's quite black and white on those that, yeah, Michael was a bit of a live cannon or not so much a live cannon, but, you know, he was a man. He had sights on other things and which he did when um, Chris was out of the picture. He got his own manager, which was Martha, which we'll yeah. be having gone soon. So she'll give us some more insights onto all of this as well. And then he started, um, you know, auditioning for movies and all sorts of things. You know, he did the MTV little bio of himself going around Hong Kong, if you remember that one as well. Now, there's all these little things that he may not have done if he'd been under um, yeah. the influence of um, the um, management of Chris Murphy because he wanted them to be as seen as in excess. Mm. Yeah, who knows what would have happened if they'd all stayed mm. together I mean, what they had Davo after that, didn't they? They were flapping mm. around for a, quite a few years. I, I even speak to some fans and they say, you know, the well, in excess just weren't in excess after Chris left. Well, I think what happens, I mean, they only had one album after Chris left, right? You know, forget the Switch album for the moment. You know, in terms of uh, uh, Michael, they only had one more album. But what Chris represented to the band uh, when he came back in 2008, 2009, well, we've just seen in the last 12 years, he was like, look, what's the next sort of marketing plan? Well, let's take you from sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, band to brand. Let's 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 look at your catalogue. Let's let's clean up some of these old greatest hits ones, the crappy ones that were released in England, and let's streamline them some better, uh, you know, uh, material. Let's create a, a reimagining of the old material with other guest artists and start building up your brand again. Let's not try and sort of sort of reclaim old glories by finding another singer. Let's turn around and do a mini series. Yeah. Uh, let's you know he, he had a business plan and a strategy. And the facts are that in 2023, when we sit here today, they have the number one Australian album in the Australian charts, and they have an album in the top 40 some 11 years yeah. later. 
So he was a genius, yes. you know. You know, Chris Murphy. He was a he was a marketing genius, and Michael was a, a genius, you know, in what he mm-hmm. did. And I guess you put two geniuses in the paddock together, they're going to buck heads yeah, a little but- bit. Sometimes creative pressure and creative juices gets the best out of things, but I think also too. It does lead to a downfall eventually. I mean, even McCartney and Lennon had their fallout, yeah. who were both geniuses. And they weren't together very long, really. No, no. I mean, look at Steve Jobs. He had a fall, came back later, and then restored it to what it is today. Mm. So, as I said again, there's no black or white. We we, we like in access all areas, examining the grey B. <laughs> so uh, we hope our listeners um, don't take sides on this because we're not taking sides between Chris and Mike, we're just trying to have a deep dive and a and a, and a set of nuanced discussion about just you know the success and ultimately probably a little bit of the undoing of their relationship and hopefully our listeners see it that way. So, B, anything else to add? No, I think we've said enough. Okay, <laughs> what we will say is, valet Chris yes. Murphy. It's two years since you're mm. gone. To all those who loved you and your family and and Sam Evans and everybody behind the scenes in your life, and I'm sure from the band itself, uh, kudos and we're thinking of you. Michael, you know, uh, it would have been your 63rd birthday today. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we never saw old pictures of you. <laughs> you still look like the uh, the uh, the uh, lead singing god yes. that you do. Uh, you, you, you like James Dean and these people. You you're forever canonized in your uh, in time. Uh, happy birthday! I do know uh, just to slightly tie things up. I do know that. Uh, Chris in his book does talk about having, you know, some dreams when Michael came to him and he felt like that they were so vivid and so real that he has had some closure with some things. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, on page 298 in the book if you want to do a deep, a dive deep. But um, I do know, you know, he misses him terribly and, and, and loved him, yeah. you know, and I, I think – Michael's life and career wouldn't have been anywhere no. without Chris. So uh, kudos to you both. We hope you're up you're up, up in the big sky having a, a beer. beer. Yes. Uh, or, yeah, or down in the uh, the hot, hot uh, uh, embers <laughs> of hell having a beer. <laughs> okay, Aiden, that's great. Either way, we hope you're enjoying, a, a you know, a, maybe a bottle of French wine together. I'm sure they, they love their wine. Yes, you know? they did. Yes, they did. And this is Manny from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. Right, well, that's a wrap. Just going through Michael versus Murphy. I uh, hope that was engaging for you and the listeners. And I guess, as I said, you know, there's always good and bad in every relationship. And hopefully the good outweigh the bad. Oh, it was great, Hayden. You, you you sidetracked me when I thought we were going to do something else, so it was great. It was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, thank you. Now, fan engagement, B, I think we might have our biggest fan engagement for a long time. Over to you. Okay. Well, first of all, I've got a bit of a story, quick story, because I know you haven't got long. Um, Michelle came into my um, into my work, where I work at OPSM, which is an optometrist. She and I got on really well, and she told me that she used to be a cashier at ANZ Bank in the city. And who used to come in and cash his checks? Michael. Wow! Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so I said, "Well, was he?" Your dr- I don't know. It was a check, <laughs> so he'd come in and get your checks. 
Okay, she said she was only 20 at a time. So hello to Michelle. She's a diamond. She's listening as well. Yeah. And she says, obviously, she you know, asked for the autograph as well. So she's got his autograph as well. Yes. But I thought it was a really nice story. Well, she probably has a lot of his autographs if he's withdrawing money as well on the back of checks. I know. <laughs> it's, really, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I'm just like, everyone's coming into OPSM and telling me Michael or in excess stories lately. It's quite they fun. Are. You touch the hearts of many around the world. Yeah, too. well, I talk to a lot of people <laughs> and, many other, and many other parts <laughs> Woo-hoo! so there was a, a, a i don't know what it was oh yeah i put something out about prague about like that you and i would like to go there on a tour one day and a lovely girl um came back to us i won't name her name because i need to speak to her and see if it's okay to relay her story but it was a very emotional story she's only a young girl she's only in her 20s but in excess was her mom's band and her mom passed away Never Tear Us Apart is her song. And she said, if we ever want to go to Prague, she will make that happen for us. And she'd um, accommodate us and and make a plan for us. And she could show us all those beautiful sites for Never Tear Us Apart and things, yeah? Yeah. I've been given a map of all the areas. So I've given her the map and said, can you check them out for us? And her and Carrie-Anne and Genevieve hopefully are uh, are going to meet up and they're going to do a little recce for us before we but go Can over. you imagine us doing a uh, fan bus tour around Prague and yeah. cameraman again? <laughs> I said, just dream it and we'll make it happen. <laughs> we will make that happen. Because yeah. what will happen, hopefully, is the guys over from the UK and might come over as well. So it'd be a great time. That would be awesome. Okay, and a quick hello to Alan on Twitter. He's from Mexico, another young lad, only 20. His dad is into in excess and it's rubbed off onto him and he is just oh he's asking me all these questions loves Kirk Kirk's his like favourite who else he's got that sort of Mexican moustache sort of you know <laughs> little thing you know put a sombrero around Kirk and have him sitting under you know, uh, you know, a tree. He passes yeah. a bit of Mexican, wouldn't he? Yeah, you know? yeah. I want to say hello to Angela, who found me on Instagram or found us on Instagram. Yes. And she used to hang out with NXS in the 2000s. You might even recognise her, actually. And she was a big friend with Darren Jones. So I've put them back together and, like, they're going through old times again. So it's bringing people together, this podcast. It's so absolutely fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And the last person... I want to say hello to, because I know they might be listening now, is I'm going to name drop Michelle Bennett. Oh. Oh. So yes. hello to Michelle. We hope she's listening. We don't know if she's listening. 90%, 90%, um I spoke to Nick Lornay last yes. night, name dropping again, yeah. and I said, you know, yeah, have you listened? He hates to- a name drop listeners. I know, I know, yeah. I know, I hate yeah. doing it. I do, yeah. I do. Yeah. I hate yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I was <laughs> talking to her, and um, I said, did you meet up with Michelle? I goes, yeah, I did. I must meet up with her last night, and I said, oh, did you mention the podcast? And he goes, I haven't, but give me the link. I'll send her my podcast. So She'd be a dream guest, you know, to have on. <gasps> She would be fantastic. Oh, I hope you know? so. She would be, nice, be like the it? Jackie Onassis interview, you know, in terms of oh. excess world. Like Jackie Onassis after JFK died, you know, she never really gave an interview. And um, maybe bar one, I think, but she was always this elusive dream guest that journalists want to interview. And I think for Michelle being proximate to Michael and the history and the love story uh, and the, the tastefulness of how she's remained silent makes her a very revered guest we'd love to chat to one day. So if you mm. are listening, Michelle, um, this is a safe place, Uh a place where we think we can speak about Michael in a very, very reverent way. You are permanently invited on to this podcast. 
And one more, and you've probably seen this, but um, there's a couple of girls and boys that are going to see the NXS UK band um, at the uh, fake festivals. They're all meeting up. They've been very busy talking on the thread. I've managed to speak to Ian, who is the drummer, and I've got a telephone number, and he's going to do a meet and greet with them as well. well so, I'm very excited about that because awesome. we, do, we do promote a lot of the overseas tribute acts, and we haven't had much feedback from either the acts or fans listening. So if there are people within our podcast community going to those, awesome. You know, we, this is a place where we can help promote those bands and yourselves and the visits and just get that great music uh, noticed and and uh, acknowledged around the world. So awesome. What well done, B. Yeah, brilliant. I just had a little fan engagement just come across my phone. I just had a text from lovely Danielle from Pensacola in Florida, and I've said to her I'm going to read it out, but she's just said something along the lines of looking down here. Uh huh. You guys got me full time now. Even a surprise operation can't keep me away. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Which I've said we are literally recording fan engagement, so I will cite your text. Oh. Um, yes, <laughs> I cite her operation, but I will cite the fact she's recovered, and we we're glad that she's uh, back into listening mode as well. Just while you're talking to them, I would if, if there's anybody out there that wants to help us, please get in touch. If you've got a skill, probably websites pretty good, yeah. <laughs> anything yeah. like that, yeah. get in touch with us. That'd be great. Absolutely. Uh, now, B, we uh, we've made a bit of an executive decision. Our friend Maria from uh, Brazil has gone uh, into witness protection. She uh, bidded for the Michael and Pitchers book and won it, and uh, she's there. She's either been taken uh, uh, hostage by uh, somebody, but she hasn't uh, coughed up her money for the book. So we've made an executive decision to put it back on the market to uh, the fans out there. But what we thought we would do is actually just do a raffle, a very Australian tradition is a raffle. Uh, I'm sure they're popular overseas, but a good old raffle uh, is very intrinsic to this country. So what we thought we would do is uh, you can buy a, a virtual ticket for the Michael and Pitchers book, uh, which obviously, as we all know, is one of the most definitive and the best uh, illustrated book of Michael everywhere. It is the female and occasionally male companion bedside table book, isn't it, B? <laughs> okay. Well, the thing Come of this on. is they're not in print anymore. No, they are right. like gold. These, yes. you need to get one. Yeah, so what we're going to be able to do is we're going to say the first 50 people mm-hmm. who do buy a virtual ticket, you can go onto our platforms, which we will share in a moment, but tickets are $20 each. Uh, if you buy four, five, six, 10, 20, 30, whatever, you can buy as many as you like. But we're going to limit the actual raffle just to 50 people out there. Yeah. So if you one person buys 50 tickets, there's still 49 other people who come on and buy 50 or 30 or 10 or one or whatever. Uh, we will then do a live draw uh, that we've done occasionally in the past uh, through our platforms and through YouTube. And uh, we will announce the winner and send it out to you accordingly. But um, this might go for, you know, a month or six weeks, B, but we will just give the first 50 people a chance to uh, jump onto our platforms and buy a ticket uh, at 20 bucks each. Hopefully you can be the winner of that. And there's no limit on how many virtual tickets you can get. Exactly. Anything procedurally they need to know where they could go to do this most likely? I well, know it's let's, not launched let's, yet. let's also explain that um, that will include your shipping and packaging as well. Yes. So, yes. I mean, this book's very heavy, so it's going it'll, to include It'll that. be over $100 in anywhere around the world, minimum. Yeah, you know? um, exactly. So we'll pay for that, obviously. So so, yeah. so $20, that's all you got to put towards yeah. um, donating to the podcast yes. and you might get to win that amazing book. Um, yeah, so... Go on to our website. I think we all know what it is now. It's our name, inaccessallareas.com. There is a page called Fan Engagement. At the moment, 
because we haven't set up the raffle yet but you never know, it might be there. But if you go on there, that will explain and you can see a few photos of inside the book as well. Yeah, fantastic. All right, now we have spoken a little bit over the last couple of weeks to Gary Podcast B. Can we get a commitment that you and I are both happy to say that will be the next podcast going out? It will be the next podcast going out. Yeah. I can't I can't say that I can edit it down to three um, episodes or two episodes. Let's go yet. with the first episode. <laughs> well, well, we'll just basically get the first one out and there's yeah. a lot of content to share, but uh, mm-hmm. it is Gary diving deep on all things about NXS, Ash and Moon, his career, you know, his life and everything there. So it uh, has been, uh, well, we did that a month ago, but through Christmas and other other commitments to other podcast uh, topics and birthdays and anniversaries, we've gone with those. Now, in terms of going out today, B, I thought what a what a tribute song we could give to all those who have dearly departed, um, you know, from the musical entertainment world, uh, all of those particular things that, you know, I guess have left us with some heavy hearts. How appropriate it would be for us to maybe uh, share this song, B, which we've never played before on our podcast, and I don't think we've ever really uh, highlighted that much, except from when we talked about Michael, and that is that uh, let's go with the tribute song that Michael sung uh, for the Elvis show back, I think, in '94, and uh, it's it's called Baby. Let's play house. Let's play house. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael sings this fantastically. He looks great in this clip. He looks healthy. He looks, he looks so cool. Good. Yeah. Um, I think he might. Ha- I think it might be Sammy Hager who just introduces him to come on stage. Mm-hmm. Etc. There, but he just comes out and sings it with cool. He's got the sunglasses there, mm. uh, and he sings it with that really good Elvis sort of uh, affectations there. Yeah. Um, and we think you know Lisa Marie going and Elvis's you know anniversary, uh, mm-hmm. sorry his birthday anniversary, and all of our dearly departed. This is a tribute song of all tributes. So uh, let's play House by Michael Hutchins, a tribute to uh, Elvis and all of those who dearly departed. It's a goodbye from me. And if you want to watch the video, we've already put it onto our socials. Yay. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, Going to sing another one of Elvis's great songs, uh, Michael Hutchins, and NRBQ. Dig it. This fool now, baby, come back, baby, gone. Come back, baby, gone. Come back, baby, I wanna play the house with you. Well, listen, let me tell you, baby, what I'm talking about. Come on back to me, little girl, so we can play some house. Come back, baby, gone. Come back, baby, gone. Come back, baby, I wanna play the house with you. Are we playing, yeah? Come back, baby, come. Come back, baby. I want to be house with you. 
Listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.